My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. I want to share a little insight into uh, my uh, history as a pastor. I will say this. I have never lost sleep because of attendance or lack thereof. Uh, pastors, when I talk to them, one of the first questions when you go to conferences and whatever, it's like, well, you know, how many people are your church? And it's like, I always say a million, you know what I mean? Cause it's like, what, what does that matter? What, is, what does that matter? I mean, I mean, every person matters, but what, you know, it's like a competition. I'm like, oh, great. A million, you know, or less, you know, um, cause like, that's the wrong thing to focus on. I mean, we do want people to come to know the word of God, to know Christ. Absolutely. Um, I never lost uh, any sleep over tenants. Uh, buildings, never lost sleep over buildings. And we've done some campaigns. We just finished one. Love you guys. Awesome. We went over the top on that. It was great. Um, and so if you haven't seen it, go back to the family fellowship time, uh, whether it's moving or whether it's, you know, doing renovations or raising money, never lost sleep over that. So attendance um, or buildings, never lost sleep over offerings or cash. Now, by the way, that's ABC, attendance, building cash. When you go to pastor's conferences, they geek out on the ABCs. I'm like, oh, I want to throw up. Okay. It's like, let's talk about making disciples. Now let's do so. That's a metric, right? Uh, never lost sleep over offerings or whatever. Never at all. But I always lose sleep every time we have a pastor or a staff member struggle. It's one of those times that I just wrestle inside. I just wake up in the middle of the night. I can go through, you know, you know, a year, everything's great. And then Man, it's just a struggle in somebody's life. Sometimes it gets public, sometimes it doesn't. But as a shepherd, as a leader, man, I ache at night for people who aren't doing well. And, you know, if you've been at Sunrise any length of time, you know that there are people that were on the platform that they're not on the platform anymore. They were married, they're not married anymore. You know, they were walking with Christ, they're not anymore. That is what causes me to lose sleep because it's about people. And it's about the relationship and you're just praying for people to, you know, to come back to Christ, to, to come back to the issues that really matter in life. And none of, none of us are perfect. And I want to share a lot of that this week, uh, in this message. Uh, but we all are on a journey. And if we can encourage each other to stay strong in that journey, that would change everything. There's this passage in Hebrews, uh, the, the writer of Hebrews says it this way. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses. Now, he's just talked about all these men and women of faith. And chapter 11 is huge. Uh, to the life of faith, uh, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Now, in the old King James, uh, it phrased it this way. Uh, the besetting sins. And, you know, there's, there's books written on that. There's, there's topics on that. The idea that, you know, every one of us struggle. We do. 
And, and if you don't, then you are either filled with pride or you're a liar. And that's a struggle right there. You know, everyone, every person in this room, myself included, we all struggle in this wrestling, this battle against sin. We all do that. We've talked about that in Galatians. It is a struggle. Now, we got to be careful, though, to not allow those things to trip us up and to lose pace or to disqualify us from the race. Right. And so we got to be careful. Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Now, this will be a sermon one day, but this idea here uh, in the original history is the idea of a hero. I love it. Jesus is our hero. And if we can keep our eyes on our hero, obviously he's our savior. He's God. Yes, but he's our hero. He did it. He made it in this world. And the Bible says that he was tempted and always like us, but he didn't sin. And, and, you know, so he went to the nth degree of temptation and didn't sin. And we go like to level three and we're like bailing out. Right. You know, but he's our hero when it comes to this, when we keep our eyes on Jesus, but you and I know that sometimes we keep our eyes on other things and we struggle and we do it. We've seen people do it. And one of the difficulties that we have is what do we do in those moments? Now, the Bible calls us clearly, we're going to see this tonight, to restore people who have fallen, people who have tripped up or have gotten caught in some entanglement. The Bible says that we are not to look down on people and judge them. That's what the hypocritical pharisaical people of Jesus day did. And they were good at it not to become religious and to have legalism rules. That's what we've seen all through Galatians so far, because that would be easy for our heart to feel better than somebody else. Right. But we are to get down on our hands and knees and we are to help people who are stuck and struggling now. But we don't do this well. And I say this just at large as the church in America. And I wrote down a couple reasons. Um, no one likes to confront. Right. It, it, none of you feel like you have the spiritual gift of confrontation, right? We just don't, right? We, we run from conflict, most of us. We run from conflict. Uh, number two, we don't know how to do it. Even though the Bible has spelled it out, Jesus, Matthew 18, there's some things. We just don't know how to do it. Uh, number three, we don't want to be judgmental. We don't want to come across as holier than thou. And so, well, you know, they have issues. I have issues. I can't really, you know, go over there. But as we saw last week, Jesus says, there's this tree. It bears good fruit. Bad trees bear bad fruit. We can judge by that. We need to come alongside. And I think there's a really important reason we don't do it. We're spineless. We really are. And we're passive aggressive. We'll talk about it. We'll get concerned about it. And we'll share it with our prayer group because that's spiritual. But we won't ever go to the person and do it, right? We need to get this right. First of all, people outside the world look in to these walls or the church in Journal America. And they go, I don't want any part of what they have. They're hypocrites. They're just like us. There's no difference. And yet then they go and they sing songs and they hear sermons and they clap and they go, yeah. And then they go out and everybody else looks like us, right? We look like everybody else. If we could get this right, my friends, not, not to be... Um, yeah, be fruit inspectors, as we talked about last week, but to be loving, caring people with humility and gentleness to come alongside men and women when they're struggling, when uh, weight is slowing them down. The sin of something is tripping them up. If we could get this right and we could figure it out in our personal relationships, in our family, our extended family, in our church, this would change everything. It would change everything in church. Therefore, it would change how people see us. And when they saw us, they wouldn't just go, well, yeah, those are the hypocrites. 
You know, they would say, well, I know this. They love each other and they deal with their junk, right? But that's not how the world sees us. Uh, If we want to take a look at the passage, uh, you know, we're going to see today in Galatians uh, chapter 6, verses 1 to 10, a beautiful text. And so I'd encourage you to turn there. But we've got to be people that are quick to run to those in need, to lift them up out of the struggle of sin, to hold them up and carry the weight with them and to actually build them back to strength so that they could run again. That's what we need to be about. And that is what the Apostle Paul is going to talk about. When we get this right, people are healed. The church has integrity. Uh, People all of a sudden see this in the example. And when we fall, as we will all struggle, we will know it's a safe place that we've created that we could share even our own sins. Now, this is what it says in Galatians chapter 6. We're going to look verses 1 to 10, but we're going to look at this most of the time. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. I like that. I I, I used to share that. I've I've had some pastors in the past that they would never say they're important, but by their hours and by their, you know, work, they're just never, you know, I go, you should leave because you're not that important. It's like, well, that hurts your feelings. I'm sorry. You're just not that important. I'm not that important. You know, don't think too highly of yourself, right? Now, let's take a look at this. The Apostle Paul has just talked about walking in the flesh or walking in the spirit. He's just talked about what happens with this fruit of the flesh or this works of the flesh. When we walk in our flesh, our sinful desires, then we will bear that fruit. We'll look like that. That's what will come out of us, right? And Jesus says, you'll know people by their fruit. Or if we walk in the spirit, humble, submitting ourselves, staying connected to God, walk in the spirit, we're filled with the spirit, we're not quenching the spirit, then we are bearing the fruit of the spirit. It's just a natural byproduct of a healthy tree, right? We're going to bear that fruit. And so to wrap all this up, Paul talks about this because there are times we struggle. There are times as a body we struggle. There are times that individually we're dying inside and we don't know what to do. We don't necessarily have the courage to reach out. We don't know if reaching out is going to condemn us, knock us out, shut us out. There are churches that shun people. I've heard of this. I've talked to people. Yeah, they shunned me. I go, what does that mean? Well, they called everybody in the church and said, no longer have a contact with them. I'm like, are you kidding me? That sure sounds like Jesus, right? No, (laughs) you know, but that we're afraid. And because we're personally afraid, when we look at somebody else struggle in sin, you know, like I said, we sit there and we go, well, I don't want to involve myself because fill in the blank. But we need to get this right. And the Apostle Paul lays out a beautiful way to restore the fallen back to health. Now, what I want to do is I want to talk about this because it's a plan, but it's a responsibility of confronting and correcting and loving people. Now, this is cool. First of all, and we're just going to break it down with words. Dear brothers and sisters, he's talking to those inside the family. This is not a recipe for how to deal with HR problems at Intel or Nike, okay? It's not. They probably have a plan, and you should follow their plan, all right? I'm talking about, this is the church here. We are the family of God. We have been brought into the family through a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And the Bible now calls us brothers and sisters in Christ. So we are a family. 
All right. Now you think about your family, your close family, your extended family. You know, you have people in your family that are doing well one season, maybe not doing well another season. That's the reality for us. I, I know we think of church as an event to come and attend, but that's not church. The church is a family. It's a series of relationships that we are all together. And now you know this. There are people in your family that irritate you, right? They do. They bug you. Don't worry. You bug them, you know. You know, we, we have these frictions. It's relational friction in our families, right? There are times that we get disappointed in people. They didn't live up to our expectation. And there are times people get disappointed in us. We didn't get to do all we thought. We didn't live up to somebody else's plans for us. But that's how it is in the family. But we stick together, right? Because we're family. The, 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 the say, saying phrase, the blood is thicker than water. That's us, my friends. We're blood relatives through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Now, we're not judging people because we're brothers and sisters. But he says, if another believer, another believer, this is not a recipe for going out and talking about a person who's far from God. This is not about that. Now, some of the principles apply, but this is about dealing with sin in the midst of the family. When another believer, we're not going to be like the Pharisees who drug that woman caught in adultery and later before Jesus, and it's like, kill her, you know? It's like, well, that was said in love. No, we're, we're to encourage each other. And when we find another brother or sister struggling, we're to struggle with them. Well, if another believer is uh, overcome by some sin. Th- now, I love this because that's really what it is, is they're tripped up in something. They're overcome by a sin. This carries the idea of stumbling. Um, remember last week I talked about the word lust in the last couple of weeks. Um, when I say the word lust, the only thing that comes to our mind is sexual sin. But that's not the biblical understanding of lust. Lust is just an inordinate desire. It's an over-desire. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's like when we crank it up, when we pursue that thing, and then that thing becomes the most important thing to us. And it may be just like a light desire at one moment, but we pursue that desire and we pursue it and we feed that appetite and then we crank it up and we crank it up. It becomes an over desire. So any one of us gets caught in that we're overcome. Okay. This isn't necessarily that we rushed in and we just ran into sin. This is in the normal course of life. We allowed those things to crank up and we did not set the rules and limits, the parameters, and we got caught in it, right? We got tripped up in this sin. By some sin, the word carries the idea of stumbling or falling and it goes with the race. You who are godly, not you who have no sin, because if you have no sin, raise your hands. Right? Jesus said in that situation with that woman caught in adultery, he says, okay, that's what the law says, do it. But you who have no sin, and some commentators think he's speaking specifically about that sin, (laughs) then you cast the first stone. And when he looked up, they were all gone because we all sin. You who are godly, not like super saints, but you who are walking in the spirit, you who are filled with the spirit, you who are bearing the fruit of the spirit. It's your responsibility to come up alongside people that are struggling in sin, that are hurting in sin. Should gently and humbly. Again, there is no snapshot. There is no Polaroid. There's no Instagram of Jesus doing this. But when you read the text in John 11, it shows this beautiful picture john 8 actually shows this beautiful picture of jesus with humility getting down kneeling down and loving her not treating her harshly as that sin deserved not striking her with the condemnation that the law required but saying to her 
Does no one condemn you here? Are they all gone? Yeah. Well, I don't condemn you either, but go and sin no more. In a beautiful, grace and truth filled way, Jesus did that. And he says, help the person back on the right path. Um, I love this. This is uh, metaphorically was used in the culture of restoring broken relationships. And so when you think about uh, warring parties, people that uh, family members that used to get along and the, you know, everything was fine. And then they become the, like the Hatfields and McCoys and they're fighting. And you, know, you help people, you restore people back on the path. Um, the, the way it was literally used though in the culture was of healing a broken bone, setting a broken bone to heal or uh, taking a dislocated joint and relocating it. Now, I love that because that's what sin does. Think about this, my friends. This is great. In our bodies, the spiritual body, the body of Christ, brothers and sisters, when another believer falls into a sin, gets overcome by a sin, gets trapped in the sin, it's like they break a bone. It's not right. There's pain. There's something internal that's not right. And we who are spiritual, we who are walking in the spirit are to have our sensors open to people with a broken bone because we want them healed, right? And we want to come up alongside him and go, you know, I don't know much, but I know this. And we help set that bone, which there's pain involved. (laughs) There's pain, definitely. And yet we know that in the long run, that's going to bring healing and they'll be able to walk straight again. They'll be able to move their arm again, right? It's dislocated. If you've ever seen somebody with a dislocated shoulder, somebody falls, somebody does something and their arms dislocated, their elbows dislocated, that's painful. And it's even more painful to set it back correctly. But when we do it, that person then can be healed and whole, right? Now think about that from this situation of sin. That's what sin does to us. I just wrote a couple thoughts here. For example... Sin is a break or dislocation personally for you and for me and in the family. Now look at this. Sex is good. But when we over desire our pleasures, we get dislocated or there's a break. Work is good. But when we over desire our achievements, we get dislocated or there's a break. Money is good. Nobody said amen. But when we over desire possessions, right? We over crank possessions. We get dislocated. There's a break. Food is good. And no one said amen. Okay. Food is good. Thank you. But when we over desire our appetites and we over crank them, now all of a sudden there's a dislocation. There's a break. Now think about any struggle, any sin. As the writer of Hebrews says, you're overcome. You're you're tripped up. There's a a besetting sin in the King James. This is like the one you struggle with, you know, and everybody kind of has different struggles. Some of it depends on your personality and the way God's wired you. But we have these, you know, big parameters of sin. We struggle with them. Maybe it's seasonal where one season it was this, another season was this. This is like the natural tendency kind of sin. And if we're not too careful, we feed those appetites, those desires, they overcrank and we get caught in them. And it's like a break. It's like a dislocated joint. A broken or dislocated bone is something that belongs in the body, but it's not in the right condition. And we who are spiritual, we who are godly, not super saints, but we who love and care and are at least walking according to the spirit are to come up alongside others and we're to help them. We're to put that person back on the right path. Uh, He says we're to share each other's burdens. um, When... I first memorized this. It was in the NIV and it says to carry one another's burdens. There are a whole boatload of one another's in the New Testament. 
Some say like 95. Some reduce it down to 45 because there's a lot of repeats. But there's a lot of one another's. There's a lot, of, a lot of each other's, like love one another. That's a good one. Pray for one another. Confess your sins to one another. You know, to, to, to do these things to one another, right? And this is one of the one another's, that we're to share one another's, we're to carry one another's burdens. What does that mean? Well, the bottom line for this is that when you are in a right relationship with someone and you're walking in the spirit, you're, you're, you're doing okay, and you're enjoying your life, and all of a sudden, in the normal sphere of relationships in the church, uh, you see that someone is struggling and they've been overcome by a sin. You're to gently and humbly come alongside of them, and you're to love them. And you are too, and this is the implication, you're to get down in the ditch that they've fallen into. You are to shoulder their burden, that's the picture, help carry the load, because think of it, if there's a break, or if there's a dislocation, they can't bear the full weight anymore, Right? It's too heavy for them. It's too painful. And if we just walk by and go, well, I wonder what happened to that guy. You know, boy, you know, I suspected her, you know. What do we do? We're not loving. We are to get down in the ditch. We are to lift them up. We're to hold them up and we're to shoulder their load with them, right? We're to help the break heal. We're to help the dislocation come back into place. And we are to share in that responsibility. That means you listen. That means you love, that means you feel what they're feeling. That means you weep with them. You hurt with them. This means you end up actually sharing some of the pain that they're experiencing. You walk alongside people who are hurting and they are, they're broken. They're, they're repentant, hopefully. They're, they're sorrowful. Maybe that's still messy and you're in the midst of that. But you are feeling exactly what they're feeling. Um, it costs time. It costs emotion, money, sleep. It costs that. Um, not a week goes by, I, I, I kid you not, not a week goes by that I don't hear examples either on our staff or on our small group leaders or ministry leaders um, of people that are doing this. And, and this is even just this last week, they're healing people. I think we're a healing church. I really do. We're a church of do-overs, okay, because all of us have messed up. Um, I hear stories of people listening to pain. Just sitting there week after week after week, just allowing a person to process and, and share it. And then begin to engage in that. But the first art of loving is just listening. Um, crying with people, weeping with them, whether they've had a tremendous loss or they're in a crisis situation. Counseling them. You have enough scripture in you. you the Bible, you can at least point them. You don't need a professional counselor, although I love them. We've got some at Sunrise. But you can open up the scriptures and say, well, this is what I know the Bible says. And you can walk with them. Um, you can hold them up, listen, lift, present them. You know, if your only experience at Sunrise Church, my friends, is coming on the weekend like this, and you do this, and you participate, and you, you know, then you leave, and you're not in a body, you're not in a group, you're not in relationships. First of all, you're missing out on all this beautiful part of sharing each other's burdens, because it is a beautiful part of life. When, when you do this enough, you realize this is what you're called to do. This is such a blessing to come alongside of people. God changes you from the inside out and makes you more loving, more caring, more attentive to people that are hurting and wounded. And you come alongside of them and you are part of the restorative process. But if you're just coming to the church on a weekend as in like an event, um, you don't get this privilege because you don't know anybody. And I'll, I'll say this, this is the worst part. When you are now in this situation... Where you've fallen and you can't get up, no one will know. No one will know. 
and it hurts my heart. I hear it not, not a lot, but people are angry. People are hurt. People are offended because nobody visited them in the hospital. Like, well, did you tell anybody? Well, like, no. Are you in a small group? Well, no. Did you let anybody know? Did you fill out a prayer card? No. They go, well, how are we supposed to know if we're not in relationship? But if you're in a relationship, you get it. What, one of the things I love the most is when I hear about, you know, there's a funeral going on, key to the funeral today, uh, for an atheist. Thank you. Shared the gospel and a um, bunch of not religious people necessarily, but politicians. It's a different kind of religion. D's and R's and L's. We're all here filling up this room uh, because there's hurt and pain. And we, we get to participate. I didn't even get to participate, but somebody else did. I, I hear about somebody who was in the hospital. Oh, really? How'd it go? Well, we had a couple people visit. I go, really? Yeah, great. I would have liked to have known. I would have loved to have come. I don't like hospitals usually, but I love you. It's like, oh, it's okay. Somebody else visited. Like, I love that because the body is doing the work of the body. But if you're not really connected to the body, my friends, you're not going to be there for somebody else. And then nobody else is going to be there for you. And he says this, in this way, obey the law of Christ. What he's saying, and he's referring to, is the big law. This is the, the earliest, the first of Paul's letters. The earliest teaching, besides the book of James. And it's still reminiscing that beautiful thing that Jesus said on the night when he was in the upper room to be betrayed. He said, love one another. Love one another. And when you and I love one another, that's the mark. Uh, there's a story about John, the apostle, when he was pastoring in Ephesus before he was exiled to Patmos and wrote the book of Revelation, um, that one, he's an old guy, one of the disciples, his disciples came up and, and he said, John, why is it that you always talk about love? Love, love, love. And he looks at this young student, this disciple, and he says, well, that's all there is. <laughs> that's our mark, my friends, that we love. And we don't judge in the harsh way. We care. We come up alongside people in need. Uh, Martin Luther, in his commentary, uh, said this. I, I love this. He says, this man, in this context, fell into sin. I may fall into worse sin. If those who are always so eager to condemn others would investigate themselves, they would find that the sins of others are motes. And it uses the old King James like a little speck in the eye when Jesus says, you know, you're looking at someone's speck. You got a log, right? In comparison to their own. What this means is, you have to be aware of your own brokenness and sinfulness if you really want to help somebody in their brokenness and sinfulness. If you got everything put together, then you are not, first of all, you're not honest, but you're not going to be good in those situations. But when you've got some blood on you, when you've got some war wounds and scars, when you've been honest in your journey, you are the perfect person to walk with someone else. Otherwise, you think you're better than you are and you're not suited to this. Now, we're going to quickly go through this, this little section here. Paul says this as we go through. He says, pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. Again, he's still talking in the context of the walk we have with the Spirit. And you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. You're not going to be better than anybody else. For we are each responsible for our own conduct. Those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. He's talking about in the context of how the church should work and the church should operate. If you're being blessed by the ministry of other people, you know, they're, they're leaders. They're people God's put there in your life, you know, care for them. And then he says this, and this is the wrap up here. He says this, um, don't me, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. 
Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature, that's the flesh, that's this lust, will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of God. Now, this is that thing that we know so well. It's about the reaping and it's about the sowing. And we use it in a lot of ways, and that's okay. But it's in the context of Paul closing the letter out by talking about our relationships and walking in the Spirit, walking in the flesh. Um, Don't give up doing what is right. But don't expect a great harvest if you're not planting the right seeds. Uh, Don't expect a great harvest if you're not tilling the soil and working the ground and caring for those little fledgling plants. Don't expect a great harvest if you don't put any work into it. Um, this, this is going to maybe sound harsh. I don't mean it to be. I mean it to be loving. But um, I'll sit with people and they'll say, hey, our, our marriage is in disarray. I'll go, okay, all right. Um, so what does it look like? Is there any hope? Yeah, maybe no, whatever. Well, let's, let's back up. Did you invest in your marriage? What do you mean? Well, did you date each other? Did you spend time together? Did you confess your sins to one another? Did you pray together? Did you read the Bible together? Did you go to church together? Did you go to small group together? Did, and there's like, no, we didn't do any of that. Like, well, what do, you, what do you expect? Again, I'm trying to be nice, but it doesn't make any sense, right? No. It does, I mean, because you will reap what you sow, right? Talk to people and go, man, my financial house is in disarray, disorder, and I'm in debt, and this and that. And... Um, I need some help. I go, great. We got some good Dave Ramsey stuff. We got some good studies. Uh, but let me ask you some questions. Did you put God first? What do you mean? Well, there's a thing called tithe, and it's the first. No, I was going to put him last, but then there wasn't anything left. I go, well, I've heard that story before. I used to use that story a lot in my life, right? Okay, uh, did you um, get into debt with credit cards? Yeah. Okay, so you, you mortgaged your future away for the pleasures of today? Oh, that's harsh. Yeah. Okay. Um, did you end up paying on just the bare minimum monthly? Yeah. That's going to take you, what, 27 years to pay off that TV? You're not even going to have that TV in 2.7 years? Okay. Yeah. Um, did you just kind of like track your money, where it was going? No. Okay, so why are you in a financial bind? <laughs> Can we just kind of look at this? You decided not to put God first. You decided not to save, not to spend less than you made. I know life is difficult. I get all that. There's a lot of, you know, parameters. In this. But, but bottom line, you were sowing a financial life and now you're reaping that. And you're surprised? I don't understand why you're surprised. Now, again, I don't want to be harsh, but I, want, I would ask you, what are you doing with your family right now? What, what seed are you sowing with your family? Are you raising them? To godliness? Are you discipling your children? What are you doing in evangelism? You're like, I don't don't ever lead anybody to Christ. Really? Well, do you ever share the gospel? No. Well, then why would you ever lead anybody to Christ? That doesn't make sense to me. Do you know basic math? You know? It's like, but if you're sharing the gospel with as many people as you can, guess what? One day you'll start leading people to Christ, right? That's the natural harvest that's going to come, right? JJ, I don't need to get you up on the platform, right? I mean, this is like a sermon, right? A farming, my friend. You know, whatever you do, whatever you put in the ground and tend and care for, that will come up. Did, Did you plant wheat? Yeah. 
What are we getting all around the farm? Wheat. Are you shocked? No, but it looks good. That might be shocking this year as opposed to last year. See, we will all reap what we sow. What kind of relationships? What kind of tenderness? What kind of relational currency are you investing in people's lives right now? Because you're going to reap that back in proportion to what you sow as you live your life. Are you ministering to people? Are you serving people? Then you're not going to receive the blessings back of doing that. Um, Let's go back to the thought of sharing each other's burdens. One very important aspect of doing this is when we're called to speak the truth and love to a person. And I will be the first to admit that sometimes this goes south. Um, when you go and you pray and you, you know, you're, you, you've seen or you've caught someone in sin. Um, I want to tell you a, about a pastor a long time ago. I was a youth pastor here, so long before most of you were here. And I inadvertently caught him in a sin. And I'm really sorry that I saw what I saw. And he didn't know it. And I didn't sleep. And I was struggling. And yet I knew that I had to go and confront that. And it took days. And I didn't need to talk to anybody. I didn't need any wisdom. Didn't need any advice. I just needed to do what I knew I had to do. But I didn't want to do it. I needed to do it. I wanted to do it. But you know what I'm saying? I didn't want to do it. because. And I sat there and I said, hey, I just need to tell you I saw something. And I saw this. He blew up, exploded at me, accused me of all kinds of things and walked away. I'm like, oh, that didn't go very well. Okay. But his life lived that out. Another pastor... A uh, long time ago, I caught him in a lie. Didn't even re- he didn't even realize that I heard it. He threw me under the bus, actually, is what he did for something to his wife. But he lied in the process. And, oh, I lost sleep. Because I know it wasn't true. I wasn't worried about it. But I was worried for him and the confrontation. Called him in my office and said, I just need you to know this. I heard this. This is what you said. And he started weeping and he broke down. He said, I'm really sorry. You're right. I need to call my wife. I said, yeah, you need to call your wife. Are we okay? Am I going to get fired? I go, you're not going to get fired. You know, this is what we do. We confess our sins to one another and we help each other back on the path. He's one of my best friends because in that moment he chose to do the right thing. But this is scary when we do this. In 1 Corinthians, the apostle Paul writes a letter. It's pretty harsh in some ways. And there is a man, a believer in the church who's off the rails sexually. And Paul writes some very strong words. And he says, if this guy won't repent, you've got to kick him out of the church for a season. You've got to hand him over to Satan. Oh, my goodness. Where's that in a doctrinal statement, right? How many we hand over to Satan cards? It's like, wow, that's pretty serious, right? That's tough if you ask me, okay? And then he writes 2 Corinthians, which comes after 1 Corinthians if you're counting, okay? And the guy's come back to Christ. He's repented. And he's, they're saying, welcome back in the church. Don't make it hard. This is what we're supposed to be doing. Paul writes this, though. I love it. And if you've ever had to do this, you get the pain. I'm not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you. That was 1 Corinthians. Though I was sorry at first, for I know it was painful to you for a little while. Now I'm glad I sent it. Not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have. So you were not harmed by us in any way for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance results in spiritual death. Now think about this. Paul's writing first Corinthians. Oh, I can't wait to write this. Oh, it's going to be nasty. He's going to get this guy. It's going to shame him, humiliate him. No, it's like with pain 
in tears he wrote these words down. He, he, he didn't want to, but he had to. And he sent the letter. And as a father over his children, as a mother over his children, he says that's how he treated people. He had to do it. And he was in turmoil because that's what it's like when you confront someone in sin. You don't know the response. You don't know how they're going to hear it. You don't know how they're going to read it. But you're aching because all you want is for that person to repent. And it might, not, it might go south. It might not work. But you know what? It might work. In fact, it might bring repentance. Repentance is when we're one, heading one way. And because of the loving confrontation of the word and the spirit and the people of God, we head in a different direction. We go back the path the way that God wants us to go. And man, we rejoice in those, right? But it can be, it can be sketchy at times. We might not know how it goes, but we, with gentleness and humility, we do it just like Christ. We, we attempt to do it, walking in the spirit and we do that. And we carry a burden just of confronting, but our dream, our desire, our deepest wish is that the person would repent and come back on the path. But that's what God wants. That's what God wants for all of us. The Bible says, because all of us in our very nature, just by being born into this world, we are lost. We're separated from God. We have sinned. We have fallen short of God's perfect standard. And we all are fighting God, whether we think that way or not, whether we acknowledge it, we all are opposed to what God is doing because that's our nature. And yet when he brings the truth to us through Jesus Christ, through people like me speaking or other people that are sharing this message with you, it's, it's a harsh message. It is. It's an offensive message. You're a sinner dying and going to hell. Thank you. That was encouraging. No, that's an offensive message, especially in our culture. But if that message brings repentance and a new way of life, man, we rejoice, right? But we are just the messenger <laughs> and we're just delivering the message, hopefully in a loving, caring way. This is what Paul is saying. And I hope you've responded to the message of Christ because you need to know, man, God loves you. He, dare, he dearly loves you. We're, we go off the rails. We sin. But for those of us who have Christ... We now have a Jesus who knows exactly what it's like to correct and confront and bring people back and also to go to the nth degree of our own temptation. Now, he didn't sin, but he knows what it's like when we're tempted. And we have a Jesus that gets this. He suffered for us. He bore the weight of our sin, not his sin. He didn't have any. His own body carried our sin. We should have carried that sin. We should be paying for that sin. We have a Jesus who was, the Bible says, crushed for us. That was beat for us, was whipped for us. By his stripes, we are healed. We have a Jesus that knows we are like sheep that go astray, right? But yet he gave his life down for the sheep, for you and for me. My friends, we have a Jesus that went to the cross for us. And he carried our burdens. He shared our burdens. And now we get to have a relationship with God because of that. So not only do we get to experience it, but when we walk in that, that brokenness and humility, that gentleness, that desire to see other people restored because we are so reminded of what it was that he did to restore us, then we are soft and we are ready to welcome people. And then when we struggle, and we all will, when we sin, when we get caught up and trapped into it 
And then God's spirit does this work and God confronts us and God's people come alongside. We know what it's like because we are brothers and sisters in a congregation of people that we all struggle in sin. Maybe it's different from someone else, but none of us get all this right. And that's the family of God. And I hope you're not just coming on the weekend, but you're plugging into deep relationships because that will change your life. Let's pray. Father God, we just want to thank you for the ministry of your spirit to us, as Paul wrote about, as we walk in your spirit, that gives us wisdom, that gives us understanding, gives us a, a humble and gentle heart. The ministry of Christ, he went to the cross for us, paying the price for our burdens. He knows what it's like to suffer and struggle on our behalf. We can then turn around and do that for others. We can carry their burdens because he carried our burdens. We can carry their struggles because he carried ours. It cost him his life and God, it will cost us a lot. May we just do what you've called us to do because in love, we will see people restored. People repent and people come back. May we not shy away from this out of fear, timidity, out of an awkwardness or the desire that we don't want to confront. But may we in love be a group of people that first confess our own sins and then are ready to receive others as they sin. We pray in your name. Amen.